Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld-Flanagan, expat and interior designer based in Dublin, Ireland. This show is all about informing and inspiring you, homeowners and renters in Ireland, on all things around property, housing, and home, from self-building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. This is a really special episode. At the time we're recording, it hasn't aired yet, but at the time you're listening, our house will have been featured on RT's Home of the Year 2023 competition. And we are so thrilled to have been able to take part in this competition. And I really wanted to kind of do a homeowner interview on our own project to share a little bit behind it, to share what might be gleaned from it for the everyday. And just because I, I always found it so interesting to learn more about these houses after watching them on TV, really understanding kind of what went into it, what people regret, where they invested, where they saved, and why they chose the house they chose and the designs they chose. So with that aim, um, I'm going to jump straight into 2020 when my husband and I were looking for a property around the area where we lived. Um, we met and were living in uh, rentals, you know, split up flats off Bath Avenue in Dublin 4, and we absolutely loved the area. It was close enough to town that you could walk. There's lively bars and restaurants and you know, you're still so close to the Aviva and you can walk re- really easily to the beach at Sandy Mount and take the dart. So we loved the convenience of the area. Also getting to the airport is so great. And we knew that from living on Bath Avenue, there's a lot of these little estates off it that have ex-corporation houses that a lot of people were starting to renovate, you know, getting rid of the pebble dash with some extra layer of of render on the front. People were changing out the windows, uh, changing the gardens, and people were doing really cool, funky things. So we were always keeping our eyes open. And by that, I mean, we would spend hours and hours on DAFT all the time. And especially as we were plunged into, you know, this is towards the end of the first year of the pandemic. I'm sure just like everyone else, we were just obsessing about our home and what was and what wasn't working. We ended up moving from the flat on Bath Avenue, which was in a really poor condition. Uh, There was an entire room that was just produced mold on anything that was put into it. There were floorboards that were dipping to the point that we had to put extra boards on top of it. There were plumbing issues and the landlords just drilled a hole into the wall to the exterior. It was really appalling and I think very symptomatic of the issues we see in Dublin with bad landlords. So we needed to get out of there and we ended up finding a kind of Celtic Tiger new build to rent in in Ringsend. So we were moving a little further east, much closer to, if you're familiar with the roundabout coming from the East Link and the Toll Bridge around there. So really close walk to the beach. And that really exposed us to how amazing it was to be close to nature during that time. It was a little bit more quiet, but we were still close to you know, Irish town village and rings and, and a few pubs and shops around there. So while we lived there, we were still exploring, you know, these different houses that would go on sale around Bath Avenue. And we spotted this house that went up for sale 
and it looked to be in you know pretty good condition. Somebody elderly had obviously lived there for many years. You could tell that from the decor. And I think that can be really deceiving at first. You know, you're like, oh, wow, this house has been taken care of. Like it hadn't been chopped into flats. Nobody had done like lots of different patchy renovations. It hadn't been lying empty for years. But the reality is it doesn't really matter what it looks like on the surface. If something is cold and needs plumbing work, which this did, it only had the one bathroom kind of in the tiny return extension that had been added in the 60s. And the house was built probably around that time. What we started discovering, we brought in a surveyor um, and we, we actually even paid an architect a day rate to come in and evaluate and kind of talk through, this is what we would want to do. And as we started getting the costings of what it would cost to bring this, you know, 100 square meter, I think maybe even 80 square meter, two up, two down, without a bathroom upstairs, with a small box garden in in an amazing location. When we realized what it would cost to bring that up to livable standards, which we knew were really important, having lived in um, you know, a really poor ventilated and maintained flat and then a new build that was full of condensation and loads of issues, even though it was new. We knew how important it was to insulate something properly, to be comfortable, to have a bathroom where it makes sense. And I think people need to understand when you walk in somewhere and you're like, wow, the, like the bones of this look really good. It doesn't matter if you're going to be opening up the walls and pumping cavities or adding layers of insulation everywhere. The work is almost the same, even if like things were falling off the walls and it looked decrepit. And along our house journey, sometimes we've preferred places that are a little more naked so you can actually see what is, what is going on behind the walls instead of layers of wallpaper and a house that hasn't really been touched in, in decades. So long story short, this is kind of the context for how we end up buying the house we're in now that you would have seen on Home of the Year, which is obviously not this house, which is a pair, a house which was a pair of new builds built by an independent uh, developer who's um, just somebody who built on the back, the kind of muse lane off the back of his period property which is really unique and and rare. You don't see people randomly building one-off houses in Dublin city. It's all, you know, developer new builds or apartments or old houses kind of converted back to, to, to dwellings. So what happened was as we were discussing things with the surveyor and discussing things with the architect and getting a more accurate view of what it would cost to literally just extend a little, bring a bathroom upstairs um, and make the house warm we were shocked at how much money that added to the house budget. So we were in a bit of a bidding war um, at that point. Things were getting quite heated. This is towards the end of 2020. And we realized we just didn't feel like what we don't have to spend on the house, let alone the time it would take. They were saying, you know, by the time we did all the drawings and got works done, it would be at least a year which meant another year of of paying rent and living really uncomfortably in the house we were at, we just felt it didn't make sense for what we were going to get in the end. We knew that this would probably just be our first home. We didn't imagine this would be our forever family home as we we wanted to build a family and have lots of dogs and children. So we actually pulled out of the bidding war and 
decided to reevaluate if this is really what it costs to bring up, you know, not even that old property, uh, a mid 20th century ex corporation house, to bring that back up just to livable standards in the 21st century, then should our criteria be different? And we've always loved that area. We've always loved the idea of uh, a house with some history and renovating and the sustainability of that as well. Um, like the carbon cost is something that we're starting, that I'm starting to learn about, which is basically whenever you're raising something to the ground or getting rid of anything, there's a cost associated with all the energy and time that went into creating that. So not only are you spending burning new fossil fuels for any materials you're bringing in, it's also everything that was lost when you raised it. So you're kind of doing doubling down. So we, we were thinking really hard about like, really is, is, is a new build what we would want or something that's been freshly renovated? And the pressures of the pandemic obviously weighed into this. And I'm sure many other people who are making purchasing decisions during this time were influenced by wherever they were living and what their needs were at the time. And we discovered this house we would drive past all the time because we lived around the corner. And we said, well, why don't we look at it? They were really weird, angular, uh, modern new builds in kind of on the edge of Irish town and Sandy Mount. And we always just would say, oh, those are kind of funky, but kind of in a, you know, they're almost a little museum-y, a little weird, not sure what the deal is with them. But there was a for sale sign and there had been for a little bit. So we decided to inquire. And the first day we walked into the house, we knew it would be ours. And this is a pattern I see on a lot of episodes. And we just knew the value of what we needed at the time. We needed something we could move into that would be warm, that would be comfortable, that was full of light. It was even closer to the beach than we'd been before. Um, it had a south-facing garden. It had a lot of privacy at the rear. It, it's basically... Um, a reimagined two up, two down. And it had loads of weird quirks, like a giant freestanding bath on the first, in the main bath, main guest bathroom, an internal window with unusual shape. There was a lot of glass and timber, and we didn't feel like they had done a copy and paste of a lot of the new build finishes that you see nowadays. It seemed a little bit more original than that. And it was attached to an old seawall that was listed. So we really love that play between the old and the new. So this led us to fighting our way to buy what we now call Nausicaa. But the architecture firm who built the house, along with this independent developer, called the house and the one next to it two seabirds. And the house is about 100 square meters. And again, we knew this might not be our forever home. But we needed somewhere to kind of build a, a better quality of life. And we were thrilled with what we got because it was basically an empty shell. A lot had not been considered from a spatial planning point of view. It had been designed by an engineer and architects who were kind of had to change things in many, many iterations due to planning permission issues, even though nothing had ever been built here and the rest of the lane is built up with 1950s houses. The house was just basically a, a blank shell 
And I was at the beginning of my career pivot from a background in sales and marketing, working at ad agencies and Facebook and moving into interior design. So this was an amazing project to first sink my teeth into. And I'm thrilled to be able to showcase some of those first attempts at making something more beautiful on, on Home of the Year. So when we moved in, you know, immediately I, I was starting to plan all the different things but we were challenged by all the lead times that were happening at the time during the pandemic. And we were hugely influenced by two things. Um, one was the our own kind of interests and the that we really wanted the house to feel unique and like our own and not just like something out of a magazine, but rather something that people would be like, oh my God, of course, this is Morgan and Tanya's house. So that meant spending a lot of time sourcing things, custom designing um, joinery and wardrobes and even pieces of furniture and finding things from antique shops. So it was a really big mix of like, you know, some things from Ikea, some things from mid-century shops around Ireland and online. Um, We invested in a sofa from Beau Concept, which is one of like our bigger contemporary pieces, but everything was very much in line with a mid-century aesthetic um, with a few little twists here and there, some contemporary additions, some little art deco flares, and a lot of like kind of fun, whimsical pieces that you can see if if, um, you've seen the show, especially in our art and little car figurines everywhere that come from my husband's love for motor vehicles. And the other influence was obviously the architecture of the house was very angular, very bright, lots of timber. Um, So we needed to play around with that language. And most importantly, we are by the sea. So you can hear the ocean sometimes you can hear the seagulls calling which apparently you can through all of Dublin we have the seawall we have the algae that grows everywhere outside and I really wanted to reference the sea both my father and my husband's father have deep ties to sailing and boats through their whole past and previous careers and youth And it was really important for us to kind of reference some of those roots and our own love for the sea. So that meant we have a a coffee table that sits on an aluminum propeller, which was was a mid-century piece copied from one that my father had in his own house that when he passed away, I was actually unable to bring back from Argentina because of shipping costs. Um, And so it was really amazing to bring that in. We also had a painting by um, Irish artist Carolyn Walsh, which features pool bag towers, which were one of our main inspirations for the theme of the house. Um, And she takes kind of iconic Dublin scenes and then with mixed media, acrylic and photography and a few other a few other art forms. She paints them in kind of these like these like really bold pink and teal colors. And the back of our front door was actually kind of an unfinished timber. So we worked with her to get a copy of her pool bag print p- printed onto vinyl, at, at like kind of a billboard vinyl, and had it pasted to the back of our door. So as I'm sitting in my living room, on one end, I can see back to the bamboo in the garden, which is timber clad and the southern light coming in. 
And on the other end, through the grazed door into the hallway from the open plan area, I can see into the porch, which has the pool bag towers. Um, so it created this dictating theme, uh, the tension between industry represented by pool bag towers and nature represented kind of by like the wild Irish sea and the battle between both. And a mid-century aesthetic anyways has a lot of that industrial feel to it sometimes with its materials like chrome and steel and spindly legs and exposed metal materials, plastics, moosite, all of that. But there's also so much warmth in the timber that is used with teaks and rosewoods. And we kind of, we just loved that dichotomy. And that is what we brought throughout the house. That's what informed a lot of our paint colors and choices. So our porch is our porch is sort of detached from the main house and has an angled glazed uh, roof and there's zinc cladding and all around it. And the house is a mix of zinc and brick and glass blue window frames actually, which is, which is quite unique. And so we painted that in Pharaoh and Ball's downpipe, which in this North facing porch really looks like a deep ocean blue. And we have a, light that kind of looks like a bulkhead boat light and so it's made to represent um sort of a lighthouse because you can see it from the beginning of the street because it's really tall where the light fixture is um so you see this dark blue and this aged the aged patina of the light which is from Mullen lighting which really does that industrial look so well so we have this that little porch that's the lighthouse that kind of beckons you in to the space, which is then kind of timber clad and lots of pale colors from a pale green mizzle from Pharaoh and Ball, our first mid-century piece, also greets you in the hallway. Our open plan area, we actually left unpainted in a, a kind of grayish white um, called diamond stud because the south facing light washes it so much that it just looks like a, like a plain white. But I kind of regret that I feel like it would have been interesting to do more work on that. And then the kitchen originally that came with the house was painted in a blue gray and it really stuck out of the walls. It was just a plain flat fronted kitchen. And in a house like this, where I want the eye to draw towards the back of the house with these you know, interesting angles, timber frames, um, the garden that we were then going to do up. So we decided to get the kitchen sprayed, which I highly recommend doing as a low cost fix to a kitchen you don't love. You can change doors, but if you don't have the wherewithal to change the doors, you don't have the energy to figure that out. You can spray your entire kitchen and change the hardware so easily. And we worked with um, Jesus of My Wonder Kitchen to spray our kitchen and he can do barrel and ball colors. And we did Web It by Farrow and Ball which is a lovely dusty white that's supposed to be kind of ethereal and inspired by cobwebs. Um, and I really loved that with the kind of background wall of that um, gray, grayish white. And that kind of lay the groundwork. So we have the sea, we have a love for mid-century furniture and for cars and, you know, appreciating certain icons of urbanization like pool bag but at the same time we love timber we love you know we have lots of plants we have a dog that lives in the house so we want and we wanted the house to be still approachable and comfortable 
so we had to bring in more more pieces of timber with things with the patina we have a cowhide we have an, a glass amber table we have a lot of wood tones that we brought in and we had a custom table made from irish yew and clear smoke colored resin and all of this we kind of balanced out in our open plan area to create a mishmash of styles that were that were going to work together in, in a big space which is one of the things we found really challenging is how do you how do you not make different areas in, in a room that's small enough and makes up the most of the house how does that not all compete for attention so it's really important when you enter a room that there's you know a main focal point and then your eye starts to appreciate things around it and jumps to different pieces so we played a lot with things with light legs and and transparency so our coffee table is a smoked glass it has the propeller under it our sofa is low to the ground but has uh brushed steel little feet our again our dining table is on splayed on a splayed base made of stainless steel our dining chairs are a pale gray leather with upholstered legs that are splayed. So mid-century style is really amazing for finding a lot of visual space around it because of its spindly bases. But at the same time, it has a healthy chunkiness in its wooden furniture. So we have a, we have a timber bar on hairpin legs and we have uh, another sideboard that's half glazed in the entrance. So it's, again, finding this balance of like, where is there going to be visual weight? The, a, a kitchen obviously can take a lot of visual weight. And that's why we painted it white to make that less powerful. And then you want to also anchor it. So not everything just looks whitewashed and pale. And that can be through art. And that can be through cushions we chose and the colors and carpets that we brought in. And we made sure that our lighting features all had kind of uh, a white opaque glow. So we have like frosted glass light fixtures or um, fabric over the TV so it doesn't glare. And then we played around with accents of black and brass to kind of bring a little bit of moodiness because our, our living room is kind of dark charcoal themed. So that's a little bit of the behind the scenes of the inspiration of our house. And we named the project Nausicaa because I came to Ireland originally when I was studying literature at NYU. And I was taking a class on James Joyce that included a week in Dublin. And I fell in love with Ireland and eventually moved here with my ad agency I worked with at the time. And so I always credit James Joyce with getting me to Ireland and specifically we were reading Ulysses. And it turns out that the street where the house, where our property was built on the muse off of, so not our street, but the one behind it, features in James Joyce's Ulysses in a chapter called Nausicaa. And it takes place on Sandy Mount Strand and also in the street and the church, the star of the sea. And it is obviously also a chapter from Homer's Odyssey. And I just loved that connection. And randomly enough, I had just bought a set of plates from an e-commerce website. And the name of those plates, before I discovered this, were called Nausicaa, like the name of the collection on the website. And finally, a friend of my father's who was a noble poet, noble laureate poet, 
wrote a story about Homer's Odyssey uh, called Sea Grapes, which was about Nausicaa. And when I kind of figured all of that out together, it made sense that we needed to call the house Nausicaa. And so we even changed the name officially on it. And we had this German company that does steel signage uh, with a really cool sort of early 20th century font. We had them create a sign with the house name and the house number that sits proudly in the front of the house. And I think there's kind of a standout from the street, which otherwise is kind of um, brick and our seawall. And you can obviously see the porch and the light. So I think we've created a really comfortable home that has a lot of play in it, a lot of mid-century accents that pays homage to Joyce and the area and um, the development of Dublin as a city. And I'm sure the house will continue to evolve. And we are really excited to have made a home of this place and to someday hand it over to people who will continue to evolve in in something that's really well built and warm and comfortable and an amazing part of the city. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the project. I hope that you enjoyed our episode. And if you want to understand a little bit more about kind of the main things we did to the house, we um, worked with custom furniture makers for our dining table. We ordered the sofa from Bow Concept. We sourced a lot of vintage pieces from Betty's Lounge up north and also Pomono, which is similar to First Dibs. And we had a local joiner make some solid oak floating shelves throughout the kitchen and made a kind of cable hiding system for our TV. So we just have staggered floating shelves instead of a TV unit because of space and just to keep the space really light. And they actually removed our skirting and put in new skirting that had a removable top where we kind of made a conduit of all our cables. So they're concealed, but accessible. We hired a carpenter to clad our entire garden, which was done in sleepers and, you know, kind of just cinder block walls on on the sides. We had them clad in, you know, kind of pressure treated two by fours, I believe. And this really transformed the garden. So these horizontal slats, we even increased the depth of the flower beds so that they turned in, they were deep enough to be bench seating. So then when we put our IKEA garden furniture out there, you can immediately see way more people. And we also worked with an electrician to uplight the bamboo that the house came with. And we did a lot of work in terms of painting and choosing colors that made sense for the different rooms in the house. Our own bedroom is completely clad in an archived color from Faro and Ball called Dutch Pink. And we didn't have a lot of opportunities to explore joinery for the wardrobes or work with the kind of companies that I have the privilege of working with now for the window treatments. But we had a great experience working with slide robes for our wardrobes and Hillary's for our curtains and blinds um, that, you know, we just weren't going to get that service anywhere else during the pandemic. And I think sometimes, it, you know, done is better than perfect. And we're really happy with what we've achieved. So thank you again for tuning in. Please follow along at the Interiors Podcast and my personal Instagram. 
at Tanya Newfall Flanagan, and feel free to ask me any questions about the property. Thank you so much and see you again here next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors Podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today, please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow along with us on Instagram at The Interiors Podcast or on my Instagram account, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please subscribe, follow, leave a review, and share the podcast with friends and family. Thank you so much and see you here next time.